Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and today I am interviewing Brandon Kempter from Australia. He owns the company BK Conditioning. They work primarily with natural bodybuilders, men's physique, and women's figure competitors. And today we get into a fantastic chat. Brandon's a really humble guy and has a lot of good things to say, so I think you'll enjoy this a lot. Remember, we have our ultimate guide to contest prep, so if this has interested you to learn more about natural bodybuilding and how to really take it there, I recommend picking that one up. So guys, without further ado, let's get into the chat. Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I'm very happy to have Brandon Kempter on the podcast for the first time. Uh, he has joined us very early in the morning. We're literally opposites, although it's kind of reasonably late for me. It's not really that late. It's like 7 p.m., whereas it's 5 a.m. for Brandon. So uh, everyone have to like this video, share it around because uh, Brandon's kind of brought bright up and earlier. I know this is somewhat typical for you, but it's still very early. So I appreciate you taking the time to be here, yeah. Brandon. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to uh, have the honor of, of jumping on this podcast and hopefully getting out some good content to everyone. So thank you. For sure. And I was just saying to Brandon that when I bring people onto this podcast, I feel like I have a, especially it's weird to say this now, I think you all understand Brandon, but I'm at a level with the podcast that like it's incredible. It reaches a number of years, but I have to almost kind of be responsible with who I bring on. And I can't just like, oh, this guy's got a big following. Let's bring them on and let's like share their information. So I'm kind of selective with who I bring on the podcast, obviously. And been following Brandon quite closely for a few months I was just saying I listened to him on some podcasts I think people who are aware of who Brandon is who hopefully a lot of our listeners will be because he's quite big particularly in the natural bodybuilding scene over in Australia uh, so yeah basically I've been following him and he's putting out fantastic information and as you're going to find out speaks very well um, super humble guy and I'm excited to dig into this because to give a bit of an intro to Brandon. He is an online coach as well. So BK Conditioning is his kind of brand. Uh, And you coach mostly kind of natural bodybuilders, figure, men's physique guys. And that's kind of like your bread and butter. And he's also, I mean, those again who know know you will know that you're a fantastic competitor yourself and uh, an ICN, uh, no, IMBA pro, sorry. Yep. Yeah, that's an amazing introduction. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yes. So yeah, ICN slash IMBA Pro. Uh, obviously, like like most of us coaches, you know, I, I uh, started off as a competitor first and really fell in love with the sport. And over the years, uh, I've had the the pleasure and honor of working alongside some phenomenal athletes. And it's what can I say? Absolutely love this sport. And you started all the way as a teen, and actually, I mean, I don't know how many guys start as a teen. And like, I, I imagine quite a few teens drop out and they don't make it until they're like, even in the opens or like a master's. I imagine you're going to be this guy that started as a teen is going to be doing it all the way until he's a master's and uh, <laughs> taking it all the way. But yeah, how did you initially like get into like natural bodybuilding? What what kind of spawned that interest? Oh, I'll tell you what. So yeah, I did start, as you mentioned, as a teen. Uh, I competed for the first time at 19 years of age and... You know, my, my story was about a year before I decided to compete. I had been training for probably two or three years. I started training at 15 or 16. Uh, I, my parents live semi-remotely, definitely no access to a gym. So I was training on basically whatever I could find. Uh, 
old concrete bags for overhead presses, built a chin-up bar with uh, pine trees that I pulled out of the back paddock with the, uh, the tractor, dips between a couple of chairs and a backpack full of stones, that kind of thing. And then um, you were well set well, up I then. had access to the gym. You were well set up, sorry to interrupt, <laughs> just well set up for the last like couple of years <laughs> in a horrible way. <laughs> Fortunately, Fortunately, I don't live on the, my parents' farm anymore, yeah. but I would have been. Yeah, I was, I was ready for anything. Um, so obviously having access to a gym, even a basic gym, was just such an awesome uh, novelty for me in the early years. And by the time I decided to compete, like I said, I had a couple of years training under my belt. I was you know, 18 years old and I decided, you know what, I'm going to compete next year. And it was just the first time I got on stage was really for the love. I didn't uh, rock up rock up to the show with any expectation, like I'm going to crush this riff like that. And I, I never do. I think that's a horrible thing to, to, to sort of uh, um, have in your mind stepping to a show. But it was very pure because I just wanted to see what I could do with this canvas. And, you know, when I got on stage, I, I did quite well as a teen. And, and that really just further ignited the, the passion. From there, I uh, obviously continued my education um, from a coaching perspective, uh, and, and, and I'm still continuing my education to this day, to be honest. Um, and I did compete through teen into juniors, into opens, into pro. Uh, and I've competed on a couple of occasions as a, as a pro athlete over the past few years. So, yeah, it's kind of from boy to, to man, I suppose, in the process. Yeah, I think it's, I'm trying to think if I competed when I was 19, I mean, I'd be a complete mess at 19. But I think when I first stood on stage, it was like 2014. So I'd officially been compete, uh, sorry, training around like three years of like good training. Uh, and if I, mm -hmm. if I'd done it after three years of my like crap ass training, that was just no good and not really having any awareness of nutrition, I'd have literally like people would have thought I was a joke who were your early influences like where did you initially learn and kind of yeah what was that process like because it, it sounds like either obviously you have like you're you're not made for bodybuilding but you're very kind of good at it uh but also mm. did you have a good introduction yeah I'll, i will say i had a fantastic introduction i do i do believe um bit of background you know my family are a very very active family um my mother was, oh, she did a variety of sports from gymnastics to uh, vaulting with horses. And these days she is, she does aerial uh, silks and whatnot. So she is super active. I mean, even to this day, she'll train for, I don't know, I'm going to say at least 10 hours a week minimum. Um, so although she wasn't interested in bodybuilding, her work ethic really rubbed off on me. So whatever I did, I did full throttle. Uh, whether it was my academic endeavors or whether it was sporting. So I definitely think that played a, a pivotal role. So even if my protocols weren't necessarily refined at that, at, at the onset, they were intense. Um, and from a nutritional perspective, coming into show number one, uh, it was really around that time where flexible dieting was coming about as, as something that was actually functional. So at that point, it was, it was the most flexible contest prep I, I ever really did. But really, it's going from teens to juniors where I really uh, stepped things up and had some really good mentors. I had some fantastic mentors. I'm very stoked to say that in the early part of my career. And that was really pivotal. <clears throat> it showed me the ceiling or, or really it lifted the ceiling that most people have in terms of, okay, this is fine. You can take natural bodybuilding. At the time, um, one of my now very close friends, Nathan Wallace, basically took me under his wing. And at that time, he was 
I can go as far as saying he was the best natural bodybuilder in Australia at that time. Um, he was well-traveled as well to the US, et cetera. And it just opened my eyes, you know, I trained with these guys and I, I worked in this gym for several years there following and to, to train with people at that level, with that level of intensity consistently um, was an eye opener. And obviously our protocols surrounding nutrition got uh, considerably more refined and obviously my education as well from a uh, uh, you know through tertiary pathways of course became more refined also but it was definitely a good start because I think that when you're young and influenceable um, who you have in your circle is incredibly important if everyone in your circle is enhanced and there's nothing wrong with enhanced individuals I appreciate and respect everything they do you are much more inclined to be directed down that pathway in my scenario I had a whole lot of natural athletes around me who were just hardcore mother effers and I just thought that was amazing okay cool that's that's how I'm going to roll and that is how, how I've continued I just I have a true passion for that natural side of things like I said nothing against the enhanced guys I think what they do is just out of this world amazing um, but that's that introduction was super important that's really cool and I, it's funny actually you, I've been asked before like why did I never go down the other path and I'm like I actually think like you said, I just had no one who it was never available to me. Like I didn't even know about this stuff. So if I was like in my young impressionable years and I had like a best mate who was like, he was getting super jacked off this stuff, whatever, maybe I would have gone down that route. I don't even know. It just, it never was even an option for me. And then once I found natural bodybuilding, I think I don't, when you were, what year was 19? Was that like 2013 or I don't actually know how old you are. 2013, yes. yeah, because I was thinking that's when flexible dieting, like La McDonald, Alan Aragon, the bodybuilding forums, Matt Ogus, 3DMJ, Eric Helms. For me, at least, that was when all of those guys were like coming up. So yeah, I competed yes. 2014, but I was, how old was I then? I was 24 years old. So um, I'm a few years yeah. uh, ahead of you there, but that's awesome that you had kind of such a, a good influence and like a strong network at the beginning because- People are, I just put up the tr a transformation recently from my 2017 season to 2021, which you commented like boy to man. And people are shocked, like Dude, yes. how many years had you been training in the first one? And I was like, seven good years. Like that's when I learned good stuff was uh, after seven years. <laughs> and I'd got to that point, but in the last four years, I'd refined it more. So I think like you, like as natural bodybuilders, it's not like you're not making progress past like the first few years where you're continuously learning and refining. Like you said, you're still educating yourself getting better yeah. at these things so that's really cool to hear that like yeah you're a forever student and you never also i appreciate your not kind of having that just i'm the best i'm going to win going into seasons it's a case of i'm going to do my best come through and see what comes to me and that that's such a refreshing approach especially as someone of your caliber oh i think it's really important to do that i mean you have to keep your focus central and obviously from a coaching perspective I, I have the pleasure of working alongside a lot of people who are super driven and I respect work ethic more than anything in this world. But I think it's as, as beneficial as it can be in certain times to use some external motivation, like, ah, I want to, you know, I want to be X, Y, Z person in the end, when you rock up to stage, it's not your choice. You know, this, this is, this is a sport based on qualitative assessment. Like it's subjective. And I just think that when you, get to the stage. Like when I get to the stage and I know in my heart of hearts that I've put my hundred percent into this contest preparation. And I know that in my head, I'm like, I, I don't think I've been outworked. I'm content. Whatever happens in the day happens, you know? 
someone might have just wanted it a little bit more than me and somehow they found an edge over me over the past three years, the past decade. Or maybe they have a, a different genetic base. I mean, I can't change muscle architecture. We can't do that. So maybe that's what the judges want on the day. But I know that I brought my best, so I'm content. And that means that whatever happens on the day, it's a positive outcome. I don't want to be, you know, just walk away from the day and, and just be, I don't know, pissed off at the world because this result happened. I'm like, hey, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I am a competitive soul, sure, but I find peace with that before the fact. And, you know, talking about ego, I think that ego is demonized, but I think that when you apply ego in the right setting, it's a beneficial piece. I, I often say, you take your ego strategically to the gym, gives you the impetus to push hard consistently. Obviously, you're not going to be an idiot training. You're going to be accurate with your training, but you apply it you know, with, with strategy. You leave it at home for the competition because the work is done. Um, and that's how I operate from a coaching perspective as well. You know, I, don't, I, I would never say to someone that phrase you said before, you know, I'm the best or something. I'm like, that's a, that's a stupid. So to me, I'm like, well, that's, you don't need to, someone who's good doesn't need to, need to say that. You let the physique speak, you know, whether it's my own physique, whether it's my athletes. And when someone says to me, like, oh, I really noticed your athletes are looking great consistently. I'm like, oh, that just rocks my world. <laughs> that's fantastic. Thank you so much. So yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's super well said because you, you can never control who turns up on the day. And I know, uh, I can't remember, you might even know the name of the person, but I've forgotten his name, so you have to forgive me, but uh, who just won WMBF Worlds um, as a pro. Like he, Leon. Uh, sorry? Oh. No, sorry, the oh, Worlds. Oh, Worlds. No, no, no. Um, oh, yes. Oh, my God. He's from Nigeria, he's right? He is like out of this world, hey. Yeah, so he is like a... Andrew and Steph were telling me about his background. Basically, he's like was training out of... Like he was these guys who was training with like like you were when you were younger with like rocks and all this stuff. Like, and he was like sleeping out and he didn't really have like proper access to food and everything. Like with all these luxuries, wow. amazing gyms. And he rocks up over to worlds. Maybe you've never even heard of him and he's taking it all because there's those people that are out there <laughs> that are just that way. And you can be as confident as whatever. But I mean, a lot of us only see what we see on social media and we can put whatever you want on there. So like you said, there's no point. Exactly right. You can only be confident and happy and content in what you've done. And then there's no better reward than that. And uh, I don't think anyone's super satisfied taking first place despite what they did. Like you kind of want to get there because of what you've done. Oh, I 100% agree. And I think it's fantastic, by the way, you know, talking about the gentleman won Worlds. And I, I can't believe his, his name um, slips my mind right now. Amazing athlete. And it just goes to show that, you know, that, that saying they... Uh, that, they, uh, that a lot of athletes say that there is someone out there training with lesser equipment than you with more intensity. And, and you know, <laughs> where you've got this gentleman here, great genetic base, obviously, but you can tell he just trains his absolute ass off. And I, like I said, I respect and love work ethic more than anything in this world. Um, yeah, so all the credit to him. He just rolled in there like this dark night and everyone just went, what is this? It's just amazing to see. It, it rocks my world. Um, and it shakes up the game. It means that, you know, if you're established in this sport, hey, like don't take your foot off the gas, you know? Yeah. And it's, I will say this, um, although there is a ceiling maybe for size, right, in, in natural bodybuilding, because people often comment, God, natural bodybuilding is a bit boring. It doesn't really progress. And I'm like, well, <laughs> the average quality of an athlete has progressed a hell of a lot over the past decade. I mean, if you look back at, say, Lane Norton's heyday, at that time, I remember 
2013-14, everyone's saying, oh, Lane Norton, oh, can't be natural. And I'm like, of course he's natural. Have you seen him train? Consistently, for years. And I mean, Lane doesn't have the best genetics either. Let's be fair. Great physique. Now you look back at Lane's physique, you're like, it was good. But we've seen a standard take another hike again because, you know, we've got more intelligent with our nutrition and training systems. We know more. We're able to uh, be more effective from the get-go. And if you're able to be 3% more effective from year one, that, that compounds to year 10. So natural bodybuilding as a whole has most certainly progressed in leaps and bounds over the past time of time. And, it, and to me, that's constantly exciting, constantly. Yeah, I feel like I've almost hurt myself here because like you said, uh, off air, actually, I've had some amazing guests that you included now and spreading awareness and education. I'm like, man, I think I've just made this way harder for myself. Now I'm coming to compete. All these people know, like they're following the podcast. They've got all the knowledge. I'm like, maybe that was my edge. I don't, I don't have some of these other things these guys have. I had this like education. So no, you're, you're completely right. It's absolutely leveling up. Uh, and it, it's exciting to see. And I, I want it to continue to grow like you obviously said you do as well. Uh, and Absolutely. I wanted to, well, actually, first <clears throat> random question I had was, what is the tanning product that you personally use? Because I just looked at a few of um, videos from Worlds and some other shots. And I was like, you're like, you just stand out on stage. <laughs> so here, I'm going to tell my secret sauce. Um, okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> uh, yeah, look, I'll give you my background. I think that um, when it comes to bodybuilding, I think that all the little things matter both in terms of nutrition and, and training, but right up into, right, right up to your posing yeah. and, of course, the tanning product. Uh, and with, with the photos that you're referring to, basically, we use how many steps is this? One, two, three. Basically, three steps. So we use a base coat. My, um, my darling fiancé, she usually applies my base coat. Uh, that product, I believe, is called Black Magic. And then I have heard the of top it. coat is actually Dream Tan. So super basic. And I love Dream Tan. I don't think you're going to get a better... Personally, I think you can't get a better look, but you've got to use it right. So that's Dream Tan number two uh, with a thin coat because a thick coat tends to wash out a few lines here and there. So thin coat, if you've got a nice dark base coat, you only need a thin coat. And then I use a glaze, which is usually some canola oil. Super simple. Uh, <laughs> But it does work really well. It's it's just about getting that that base right and and the appropriate thickness of dream tan. So it's super simplistic. Uh, and my skin, to be honest, is a bit I suppose you could say delicate. Where um, I'm the sort of person that gets a base coat the night before a show and wakes up white the next day. My skin just rejects it. So oh, wow. a top coat like that works really well. And I literally do everything the morning of the show. First coat of tan goes on the morning of the show. <laughs> Go to the show. Top coat goes on. We're ready to roll. So super simple, but it's very effective. Hey, Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign. Uh, I, I love initially what you said there about like trying to eke out every little bit, um, it particularly because I've just finished the season and it was quite a lot of shows that I ended up doing six and I didn't think I'd get to worlds. And so it elongated my season. So I was yep. in that position where you are trying to like, I was like, I need every little thing, like any posing tweak I can make to make me look more 
like have the symmetry there anything i can do like yes. make sure i'm well exfoliated make sure the tan comes on properly like maximizing every little detail so i love that you're as detail oriented to, to kind of think of that and consider those variables because i think some people especially who have just natural talent they just rock up to shows and they win them but if they'd considered every little variable they could be like like undeniable a lot of the time or they might have someone like you who's also very good but nailing every little thing who then takes it so i, I love that i agree agree i'm all about the little bits and pieces that add up you know for example I, I don't have the option to work with i don't have the opportunity as frequently to work with females these days simply because i work primarily with figure and there's not that many women who have the the want or desire slash genetic proclivities to be that jacked. But with the female athletes, I'm like, what are you doing with your nails? Like the little things that matter. You know, you don't notice nails on stage, but you notice if they look shit, right? So you, little things, color of your of your figure suit or posing trunks. I'm like, let's make everything complement. Um, so yeah, it, it all adds up for sure. And we actually previously spoke about. Uh, you said Leon. Uh, so some of the people watching, Leon may even watch himself, but this is also what gave me the impetus to bring you on because I competed against Leon at the WNBF UK. Uh, I also competed against him at the Two Bros show as well, um, unfortunately, because at that point I knew if he was rocking up, I was <laughs> very much challenged uh, to try and beat him at that point. And Leon went pro in the WNBF at our UK show. So he won our category and then he went through to the overall and, and won the overall. And incredible athlete. And I noticed something about Leon and I see it in some competitors where he just has this level of condition that I'm not sure, and I might be wrong thinking this, I'm not sure I can achieve it personally in terms of just his dryness and hardness, like vascular, like paper thin skin is how I would kind of put it. Just like insane look you can look at some of the WMBF UK photos and five Os did a fantastic job and it's just like yeah. it's just he has something about him that's just like stunning I don't know if maybe you did something peaking or if you do feel like maybe that's something that's like something he owns and it's hard to get in everyone uh, but I'd love to hear it look I, I definitely think that you know when we look at genetics right and I don't like to pull that genetic card because I don't th I think that a lot of people pull that card and, and, and sort of put a preconceived limitation on oneself, which I think is a, it's a crap thing to do. But genetics do come into play to a degree. And I think you've probably seen this in your coaching. I mean, it, it, the way I look at it is that everybody is built around the same, you know, 11 systems, right? It's just that genetics sort of determine the magnitude of change per unit of input for everything, nutrition, training, etc. cetera. Um, and I do think that, there are individuals that seem to appear a little bit more dense than others, so to speak, in their overall look. And I think that's in part due to training adaptation. You know, the more years you have behind you, the more, uh, you know, we lay down more vascular pathways, et cetera. But with regard to that paper thin skin specifically, I, I think most people can achieve it. It's just that it's... Uh, it presents more of a challenge for some than, you know, than, than others. For example, my, my, my Samoan boys, those guys always come in with these beautiful muscle bellies, but I know that to get them paper thin is a bit more challenging, but I'm confident with, with time and strategy that you can get there. And obviously the peaking side of things definitely comes into, into play in his scenario. He does have, you can tell he's been hitting the weights for a long time. He's got that beautiful dense look to him to, to his physique. So in summary, yeah, I think that 
that genetics can come into play in terms of the ease of achieving that look. But I think, I do think that, you know, with, with enough time and, and strategy, I'd say that almost anyone can get to that paper thin level. I, I'm confident. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never like pulling it, it's the genetics card is always a funny one with me. Cause I'm like, I know how much of a big impact it can play, but I also also don't almost want to know how much of an impact it can play because ultimately it's nothing you can change. So the, there's no point really considering it. Um, but yeah, it's like, I, it's just something that to me, there was, I don't think anyone else, I haven't seen anyone this season bring that look that he had. It was just like, yeah, paper thin skin, like you said, and really dense like physique and how he uh, is presented. But like you said, some people have an easier time getting there, but they have other things and it, it's all about kind of trying to bring your best at the end of the day. And how often are you getting down that lean and peaking? Like you don't have that many opportunities to perfect these sort of things. So maybe it comes slightly easier to to uh, Leon, but maybe you can get there. You just haven't found that secret source yet or the, the way of manipulating the various variables. Generally speaking, to be, to be honest, I think that time is probably the most precious piece and the most irreplaceable uh, commodity in a high quality outcome in contest preparation. You know, as you, as you can likely relate, getting semi-lean is pretty easy. Let's be honest. It's getting very lean. It's the last little bit that is 90% of the challenge. That's where the, uh, the majority of the adaptation pertaining to, you know, metabolic rate, uh, you know, comes into play. That's where you start to, yes, we have to embrace the suck. And that last little portion there, you're obviously at the highest risk of lean mass of, of protein degradation. You need to really look after that. And that's where it can't be rushed. So I like to take my time in that last section. And I'm confident that the majority of people can reach that level of conditioning, but you have to take your time and you have to live in the suck and embrace it as a, as a integral part of the process for a little bit more time than most people think. Um, you know, in the end, good conditioning and great conditioning is probably all of 600 to 800 grams of fat mass. That's it, you know, but that 800 grams of fat mass, you might have to spend a month doing that. <laughs> so yeah, it's, um, yeah. But I definitely think like you said before, advanced athletes, more training years comes into play as well. Um, yeah, yeah, you've got to have the muscle to show the condition because <laughs> uh, you do get, because yeah. obviously uh, shreddy glutes became a little bit glorified in some ways. Uh, and yeah. so you do get those maybe even teen competitors who are then like, they're like, oh, I have to get shreddy glutes. It's like, have you got glutes? <laughs> like, have you really got enough glutes <laughs> to, to really benefit from that look? Or are you just going to come in kind of not looking your best? Because yeah, you have to consider the overall package. So like Leon, he's got tons of muscle mass probably more to give uh so he can get down there and not look like a skeleton <laughs> well i've got to give you credit too you know your your season if you look at your physique from start of the season to the end of the season there's no doubt the last show WNBF worlds you brought your 100 best which kind of plays into the point i was i was i mentioned before about just spending time getting from lean to very lean. I mean, that last show, some of your side shots, you had that beautiful paper thin look through the lateral portion of the quad. You can see that beautiful interchange on that anterior lip of the ITV that drops down the posterior lip, down to the hamstring. I'm like, ah, it's that kind of look where you're watching someone do lunges in the gym and you're just looking at that leg going, like, I can see every single fiber. This is magnificent. <laughs> um, and you had that. 
you know, that, that paper thin, look, it, I don't know how much weight you lost from the first in total body mass from the first show to the last, but I would say probably not much, but it made such a big difference. I mean, that's the coolest thing about the last bit of contest prep. It's the exciting part where little things make big difference. 300 gram lost total body mass. Wow. That's a huge amount of, of difference there. Uh, small change in your peak uh, strategy. Wow. You know, if you're, if you're a bit softer, you don't really see that, but the leaner you get, the, the larger the magnitude of change you get for your, you know, for your inputs. And it's, it's, just gets really, really exciting. Definitely like your last show I was like, wow, <laughs> this is cool. Um, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. It means a lot coming from obviously yourself because you've had, you've taken so many athletes to stage and like the condition you bring your clients in. And that, that's something I definitely wanted to talk about is like incredible. So to know awesome. that you, you, you were kind of thinking that my condition was decent is nice to hear. Uh, especially because to me, that's like, that's in my control almost. Like, uh, if I don't come in completely dialed in and shredded, it's like, like I left cards on the table. Whereas if I can bring it a hundred percent or close to, then I know I've like left all those stones unturned in that regard. So it's nice. And you're completely right. Like there's a big difference between I, I can be at like 12 or so weeks before that as like a warm-up show. It's like, that was, people were saying my condition was good then. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that was all right. Uh, but it was like you said, the first bit of like looking pretty lean is pretty easy after that show that's when everything got harder <laughs> that's when actually prep yep. for me started uh and it surprised me i learned this season for sure that you can be stage ready but like to get to elite ready like you can be in that for months trying to get there uh and it, it yes. can sometimes feel like you're standing still do you ever like with your guys i don't know if you listen to the podcast with brian minor or if you've heard of kind of um the kind of metabolic building phase, I think uh, Dr. Joe calls it, and that kind of reverse. Yeah. Is that something you build into a contest prep timeline? Do you try and get there? I will build it into the contest preparation timeline. However, whether we get to use it or not is uh, is to be decided a little bit later, later down the track. Uh, obviously, I think there's certainly benefits in increasing energy intake back towards maintenance at the end of a, a dieting phase, obviously it makes life a little bit easier for the athlete. There's multiple benefits here. You're going to have perhaps a slight reduction in hunger, but not much because for you know, satiety, what is that by the end of the contest preparation? Um, but obviously there's benefits in terms of increasing one's recovery ceiling, topping up muscle glycogen saturation to the point that essentially circumvents a aggressive need to peak. But the one thing that you need to consider always is you, you need to be quite confident with one's conditioning at that time. Now, often I have the opportunity to increase calories coming in towards the tail end as a simple need to decrease the magnitude of the energy deficit because, well, I can only liberate so much energy per unit of fat mass per unit of time. I need to lose only small amounts. I need to preserve this muscle mass and balance our profile in terms of managing training performance, incredibly important for us. So oftentimes calories come up, but perhaps not as aggressively as something like, uh, as what uh, Brian Miner would, would perhaps implement. With that, I say that as a general, I mean, I have had some individuals where we've come up a lot. Um, in fact, by the end of my own contest preparation, you know, I think I was up around 600 cows from the lowest. And I got to that point in my last season where I didn't want to lose anymore. I was like, I think I'm pretty ready. So let's maintain it now. Um, but usually if that occurs, it will be, I mean, I'll, I'll build it into the timeline. But like I said, it just comes down to whether it's, whether we've got more to pull off or not. Uh, I really like to work with the basis of being in, in both personally with my athletes. I want to be hundred percent ready for show number one, 
and then I want to maintain. If I find one more percent to give, or you know, we're gonna we'll, we'll we'll find it in the in between the shows, sure. But I don't like to aim to be ninety five percent for show number one. Um, I kind of work for the basis, like, well, if not one hundred percent, why are we getting on stage? Like, so I always shoot for it. But like you said, I mean, there's there's always something more you can find. So um, yeah, I think. I also learned once you're at that kind of level of condition, uh, I know the refeeds, I mean, it hasn't been studied in individuals as lean as that, but the psychological thing is real. Like I felt that during this prep where it's like, it's a big break. So I kind of oh, yeah. discovered that in this period of time, you can kind of play, you can like, when you're lean, then you can like, okay, should I, I can dig for a bit and then pull back for a bit. Like you, you don't have to just be linearly dieting the whole time. Cause that sounds like hell. Like, well, you're stage ready and you're just going to continue <laughs> dieting down <laughs> like forever. Uh, so like I, I was using some of these refeeds and uh, like practice peaks for some different shows just as like to keep me going in a sense and like trying to mm -hmm. discover, okay, so if I have that refeed, am I now looking much, much leaner? Like I was holding on to that much ret like retention of kind of water and yeah. everything. So I'm a hundred percent dialed in or do I need like you peak and you're like, mm, there's still a bit more fat to come off. You can kind of learn during that phase. Maybe it's more for, I would maybe say this is more for more advanced competitors or older competitors or not older. I'm saying the wrong thing. Um, people have competed experience. more times experience. That's the word. Because, uh, yeah, that's something I definitely learned this time where I'm like, I'm going to give myself another like five weeks in prep, like when I yeah. do my timeline. Because when you're in that phase, it's livable when you can have these periods of times or like backing off. Yeah. You know, it's quite interesting. You mentioned the research on, on uh, non-linear dieting strategies. And, you know, as, as you're aware, I think you have, you might've had Jackson Pios on here. Obviously it's the, yeah. his research is the only research that looks at uh, non-linear dieting strategies in uh, quote unquote athletic populations. And obviously they tracked a variety of outcome measures. I mean, that's that, that piece of research is a absolute piece of beauty. I mean, five, six, seven, I can't remember how many outcome measures it was like, man, I would not have wanted to do the data collection on that. But um it was truly fascinating. Obviously, the results of that really showed there was a decrease in hunger sensitivity um, uh, in, in the nonlinear dieting um, group. And outside of that, all markers of, you know, one's metabolic rate, et cetera, essentially remain the same. Now, although it's important to acknowledge the literature, it's also important to acknowledge, acknowledge uh, limitations, one of which is that the athletes were kind of lean, but not super lean. And I just think there's such a big difference there. When you're rolling at the back end of a contest preparation, exactly like you said, you know, the... Metabolic adaptation to the dieting condition is aggressive. It's a extreme level of body composition manipulation. So, you know, people talk about, oh, you know, you, you're probably going to get a 10 to 15% decrease in RMR, you know, a true adaptive thermogenesis as defined as an increase or decrease in metabolic weight that supersedes what can be calculated from changes in body mass and meat, et cetera. And I'm like, well, that's in that population. I think it's quite likely. I mean, there's one case study that looked at bodybuilders and it was a lot more severe than that. I'm like, yes, like you're going to have a reduction in met metabolic rate that's probably five, 600 calories. This is how it goes. It's a very extreme sport. These refeeds then become very valuable, even if the value is solely from managing one's, um, you know, psychology. I would say that's super valuable. The two primary things that I think there's many limitations to completion in Connors Prep, but two primary things. One, is one's perception of energy, how energetic you're feeling, that really challenges people. And two is hunger. Hunger is part of the process. Learn to sectionalize it, accept it, manage it. Refeeds are a good management tool. And I think if you can attenuate these two pieces, because you're not going to circumvent it, you're not going to out 
outsmart your, your, your physiology, then you should look into it. And refeeds are a tool that I think that if you looked across the top level bodybuilders in, in our sport, let's say you grab the top five at WMBF Worlds, I think that almost everyone would use a nonlinear protocol of some sort for management, um, which might, you know, go around the, uh, uh, might not be commensurate with current research in the area, which is in its infancy, but it's just such a valuable tool. You be pragmatic, I think, uh, from a coaching perspective. And to me, it makes absolute sense. Just like you said, it's like, man, at the end of the contest, unless you've experienced it, unless you've experienced being really lean, you can't relate like, Little things. Like I remember looking at a set of stairs, like we travel a lot usually. And I'm looking at a set of stairs, like I'm going to walk up this bastard. I'm going to do this because, <laughs> uh, you know, I need to get whatever energy expenditure I can. I nearly, I nearly did a like hype myself up, get some sniffing salts here to walk upstairs. It's just life is not easy at the end. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of fun though. <laughs> I hope a lot of competitors can relate to that because. And I can particularly relate to it extremely because when you come through the post-show and you recover, you're like, stairs are nothing now. Like, it's it's not a big deal. Whereas it's like, wow, that contrast is just crazy to me and how much more, yeah, just the end. And this is, again, like that immediate food. Like, you just, you feel the the energy and food is is a huge part of that. And I think a lot of people know, like, that the saying is a lot of kind of to get to that elite condition to do bodybuilding, it's a mental game. So any way you can help the mental side, which is what the refeeds have already shown to be doing, and I think a lot of people can speak to that benefit, like you, you're going to be helping your chances get to where you need to go. 100%. I mean, I look at it like this. No matter how strong you are mentally, everyone has a breaking point somewhere. My goal as a coach is to make sure that we are uh, we have a protocol in place that is A, effective, B, safe, and C, it, it has us you know, not too close to the edge of breaking. Because once you, someone breaks, so to speak, which is probably a really poor word, but I, I mean, once someone psychologically falters, yeah, it has a, it's not just that event, it's the confidence that someone loses. I don't know if I have the confidence in myself to do this. So, you know, open communication with your athletes uh, and, you know, you make sure that you've got time within your, your, your timeline essentially to accommodate for these sort of things. And I think that's incredibly important with, with a appropriate timeline. It gives you more flexibility. You're feeling like this. Okay. We've, we're at this point. We've got this much, you know, to, to, to lose, to meet, to reach the next conditioning checkpoint. Let's bend this protocol, do X, Y, Z to try and attenuate whatever side effect that we're, we're experiencing. And this is where I think coaching becomes quite a, an art. You know, it's, you need to understand the science, know what variables to change, how this should influence the system, but you also need to know how to interpret your results through the, through the data you have. And obviously we need to establish a nice open line of communication so that we can pull whatever data we need to out of this individual and then adjust the protocol accordingly. So it's, um, yeah, it's quite, it's an interesting gig we have, man. <laughs> I have a few, there's, I might forget the other thing, but I think this is more important. Uh, with your coaching, I think I remember talking to Leon uh, backstage at the Two Bros show. And I think he was saying like something like you were messaging him and it was like the mid, like it was a ridiculous hour for you or something. You'd woken up like, I don't know, at 1am or something to check in on him <laughs> and like have a chat. 
Uh, how does your when you coach competitors to stage, what's your like check-in process look like? Uh, are you talking live frequently or is it kind of video check-ins or emails? What, what's your personal approach there? Because I imagine like you said there, like to be able to, is reading the client and like seeing those warning signs almost in some ways. Um, well, basically what I do is, because my coaching cohort is spread out across these days, uh, well, the globe, you know, we're, we're so spread out. Um, I have a, a, a once per week minimum contact in which we have our check-in uh, and that gets sent to me by email. And what I do is I reply through a combination of video recording and text sort of appeals to each learning type. Um, at show time, that's where my workload tends to double, maybe quadruple in fact, because peak weeks are much more in depth. And if I'm right, depending on the peaking strategy that we're running, uh, I will get photographs every day from this individual. We'll tweak and adjust it coming into the show on the actual show day itself, then usually I don't want to stress an athlete out. That's the last thing I want them to do. So for some people, they're like, look, man, I'm just, I'm too wide. I just need to focus on the show. That's the case. That's fine. I'm very confident with the strategies we have in place. But if I can get another 1% out of the individual, then I want to do that. In which case, we'll have a couple of photos on the day and we communicate like, okay, we just come off, you know, maybe oh, two hours out. Okay. Grab this pump up, send me some photos. Or if we don't send photos, we at least have a chat. How, how do you feel? I like to use a variety of descriptors there with regard to what they should be feeling. And then we adjust the protocol. So on show days, uh, you know, any show that I can attend, I'm 100% going to be there because it's super simplistic for me to look at someone and I'm like, oh, yes, okay, <laughs> you need some more sodium. Uh, or it's two hours out. Like we, I've got enough time to, to get you a little bit more fullness. Let's do this. And, and really get that fullness tightness ratio um, sitting where it needs to be. And if I've got someone online, I want them to experience as if I am there. Um, now with time differences, yes, it's a, I, my fiance, we actually, I'll, I'll sleep in the other room because I'll set that alarm for every 30 minutes and then, okay, 30 minutes, can I have a look? Yep. Cool. All right. This is what we're doing. 30 minutes. Uh, I think this is what we Leon said. Weekend, we had one of those guys in <laughs> Mumbai and in India and India has some, that, that show went pretty late. They only got four hours time difference, but it was like one o'clock. Like, okay. So yeah, the last few weeks have been, uh, the last couple of months have been every, every Saturday. It's been a little bit, a little bit less on sleep, <laughs> but that's how it goes. Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. I don't envy you, especially if you were in prep yourself at the same time, like giving up your sleep for that. Or oh, maybe maybe you adjust stuff to make sure that that doesn't need to happen. I don't know, but um, well, that's commitment. Not in prep now, which is good. But... Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then actually on the lines that you kind of spoke to this where you're like, yeah, you can try and outsmart the body but you're not going to be able to and you you probably have seen it i'm not sure but um james krieger did some work on kind of weighted vests weighted apparel uh, eric seltzer i'm going to say his last name wrong eric um his uh, a client of his had been using this like weighted apparel and based off kind of rat studies there was this gravito stat i think it's it's what it's called where it's like the weighted apparel is on the bones the osteocyte mm-hmm. sense that and it's like a regulator of hunger and uh, i trialed this for my prep hoping that like like you like every little edge i can get i'm like i'm gonna get this extra edge uh but it didn't 
give me <laughs> the the kind of uh, I still was very hungry. It didn't give me huge benefits. I definitely saw some, but just the ones you'd expect, like my total energy expenditure was slightly higher, stuff like this. I don't know if that's a strategy you've used or if you use step counts or cardio or what what's your preferred kind of means to get in that energy deficit. To be totally honest, I have not um, read that particular paper you mentioned from Krieger. I'm really up to date with Krieger stuff. I actually love that guy. Um, You're going to search up after you that. I'm going to be straight on the, on the pavement after this. So you, um, you were the first that I actually saw implementing this. And obviously uh, what you say goes, man, because there was a more peripheral effect within our community. I'm, I'm seeing all these weighted vests pop up. Right, let's <laughs> yeah. check this out. Uh, I would imagine you can fill me in. I would imagine at the end of a contest preparation, you know, five, 10 kilos, 12 kilos on one's body would feel like an absolute ton. I mean, that has, uh, that's going to be pretty tough. I, I kind of analogize contest preparation to running water over stone. You know, you do it for long enough that it, break, it, it breaks down the stone. That's contest <laughs> prep. It's an abrasive endeavor. Like come and live a day, come live a day in Steve's shoes at, con, you know, contest lean. I'm like, that's fine. Come and do it for six months. You're like, okay, this is hard. But having nine kilos on your person for, I don't know how many hours you did. I was like, man, that's going to be tough. I mean, even like walking around the US uh, in comp season with my, my backpack on, I was like, this backpack sucks. Like, <laughs> it's, that's going to be tough. Um, yeah. To answer your question, I, I use steps as my primary piece. Um, it, it's, as you know, it's, it's an imperfect tool. I mean, if you go and ride your uh, push bike, go on a boat, anything like that, you're going to be accumulating steps. It's imperfect, but it's the best thing we have. Gets us in a ballpark. Uh, so I do utilize that. Uh, occasionally, I have someone that doesn't want to do that. So we personalize it. You know, I've had someone recently that said, look, I don't like tracking steps. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's be nice because it would give us an indication if there's a decline in, you know, need. Not that all need is steps, but it's a good portion of our day. You know, I prefer to have the recumbent bike. I just want to run with a certain, uh, you know, uh, duration allotment and intensity allotment there. I'm like, well, great. We can personalize the, the, uh, the protocol because we're trying to achieve the same thing here. We're trying to waste some energy to supplement the energy deficit that we're primarily created through nutrition. Let's do this. But steps is generally my go-to piece. Um, yeah. Really cool. Yeah. On the, I did notice the way it vests kind of cropping up more and more. I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, so it, it definitely was interesting, but to speak to your point, at least in my experience, I think there's a sweet spot much more than five kilos for me was just like when I got to the 10 kilo weighted vest, it's like, this is getting quite torturous to keep this on the whole time. So I don't know if there's like a sweet spot with you just wear it for like, I don't know, a portion of your steps. But I was like trying to use it for the purpose of my body kind of trying to trick my body into thinking I was holding on to the weight I'd lost. So I was standing the majority of my day with this fucker on. So it really <laughs> does breed a psych, like we're talking like psychological stress. Like it, it really did. Going for walks and everything uh. were like... I know, um, I think Alberto spoke about it at one point. He was like, he didn't like the idea because he almost likes prep to like almost take a bit of a backseat. Like he doesn't want to be focused on it all the time. Whereas when you've got this thing on and you're putting it on, it's like at the forefront of your mind, like, ugh, like I've got this thing. <laughs> you know, that's a really, really good point. I think that's incredibly, uh, that, that's, a, that's a chunk of wisdom you're getting from Bert over there in that, I look at it like this. Bodybuilding is always a part of your life. I'm not too off track here. Bodybuilding is always a part of your life. It's just that at certain times, it's a bigger part of your life. You know, off season, that's the lifestyle component. It's a small part. 
condos prep, it tends to become an all-consuming piece, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, personally, I like being dialed in. I love the focus. Um, and, and when I was single, I'm like, all I want to do is body I just want to live in the gym. I just want to work. I just want to study. And all my, all my education is nutrition and science, uh, nutrition and exercise science related. I'm like, this is great. I just want to exist in focus. But now that I'm a little bit wiser, let's say, with more responsibility, I need to learn when to switch on as the bodybuilder, when to switch off. And I find that although I still struggle with this, I struggle in life, I have very obsessive personality traits, which is exactly what allows me to achieve at a high level. But I could imagine with this here, you're not able to switch off. Then it becomes unnecessarily psychologically burdensome. You know, you have less oomph, so to speak, for those training sessions because your central drive is just taxed from just that low level, again, water over stone wearing of the system beforehand. So I could imagine that would be a, a challenging piece. Yes. Yeah, it's like uh, people talk about axial loading and the fatigue that brings. It's like, it's just like constant low level axial loading through the day, kind of fatiguing All me. All through so. your traps too. Gee, you must get sore there. Yes. Yeah. And I didn't yeah. need any more trap. My traps are actually all right. So if they, if anything was going to grow, I was like, this isn't the area I need. This is, this is uncomfortable. So um, I really actually, I actually was hoping we'd speak about this. We haven't got a lot of time, but I'll have to drag you back on maybe at some point. But this was, I, I like that kind of graded approach to being more of a bodybuilder or like more focused on bodybuilding and less focused on it. Uh, and I know you, you spoke about this somewhere. I heard you talking about it. Like there's something for being robotic and that bodybuilder that just does stuff. But there's also mm -hmm. a social side to the improvement season. So yeah. I, I'd love to hear kind of the transition that you try and take people through or I guess do you, do you try and and post show like have a, that that kind of recovery phase is somewhat social and take people through that. I don't know if there's like free meals or anything like that, but you can speak to yeah. to that side of the sport because I think a lot of people get a bit, especially younger guys, and I certainly was there where we are obsessed when it's just like no, stick to my meal plans and I have my whatever it is every day, and whilst it can breed results, I don't think it's necessary and it it can burn people out. It can, yeah. I think that it's all about finding a midway and it's very it's very personalized i think you know for example you know a 20 20 year old gentleman uh like 23 whatever let's say 23 single um let's say they're at university they they, they work part-time or something like that i mean hey you can probably afford to be more focused and 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 uh if you're content to participate in what others would deem as obsessive behaviors but you deem it a net positive to your life fantastic let's do this this is great but uh alternatively if you have other life responsibilities and there's always sacrifice that needs to be made in achieving any outcome any outcome uh, at a high level but you need to find that midway and it, it can be pretty challenging for some people because generally speaking bodybuilding attracts people with those obsessive traits so to speak that's what makes them good bodybuilders i would argue but like you said burning out is uh, a real issue and in it's interesting, you mentioned before about, you know, being a teenage bodybuilder and working my way through. A good portion of the people that I competed with as a teen and a junior are no longer bodybuilding. They've realized that like, I can't prep like this with life responsibilities. So being able to switch on and switch off is really important. I think uh, in, re in the recovery phase, generally speaking, uh, I really put it to my athletes that no one's perfect in the recovery phase. Okay, and perfection is not something you should be striving for. We've just come out of contest preparation and yes, you've been awarded for your quote unquote perfection. Uh, and it's, but the, but the habits of which we create in the contest prep are conducive to that result. 
but not really lifestyle. So we need to sort of tune things back. And one of the big things I'm, I really emphasize on within coaching is education. If I can give someone the logical basis to make their own decisions and they can understand the outcomes of those decisions, well, then they're usually able to, to be more autonomous and be less stressful, less, less stressed out. Oh my God, I did this. I'm like, well, your body composition is a logical byproduct of your training and nutrition environment. Okay. Like, yeah. When I circled the all you can eat buffet the other night for 60 minutes like this, well, how many calories do you reckon you eat? Oh, at least 6,000. All right. Well, that's kind of why our body weights up. You're right, coach. That's my decision. Cool. So um, finding that midway, really important. Uh, and then once we're in the off season itself, the, the productive meat and potatoes, I work off the basis that you get out what you put in um, and we need to find your happy medium between making gains in the gym and making lifestyle gains because we can't live in a box forever. Um, and that's individual to the person. 20 year old single guy is like, I'm gonna be 90% on, and you know, like once a week, I'm gonna have some sushi and I'm gonna track it. I'm like, beautiful, man. You get access to 99.99% of your result and it fits in with your lifestyle now. Person B might be, you know what, I'm, I'm 35, I've got two children, I have a beautiful wife. I wanna be there for my children, I wanna sacrifice on that. Okay, cool. So your definition of balance might be something a little bit different. And if you're going to sacrifice a little bit of one's result for the sake of experiences, if you can rationalize that, I'm like, well, that's what you need to do. But in contest prep, my expectations are symmetrical of any person. We get in, we do what we need to do. We make sacrifices, but it's in the short term. Six, seven months of your life is not designed to be forever. So I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> no, it definitely did. I love that it was personalized like that. And I guess... Um, there may even be individuals I was just thinking maybe there's that the guy who you said the 20 year old that's investing in all of it you were like so long as your the trade-off is worth it because there might be someone listening being like I can do that but it's whether they want to do that like are you willing to sacrifice like the social occasions the drinking or whatever now and then to get an extra one percent or two percent or something because that's a choice like and it, people struggle maybe with that um, and I, I wondered if there's so many competitors now that are like you and me who also do this full time. So I, I like, I don't know, like even my travels and my kind of any of the expenses for shows, I can put them against taxes, like from that perspective. Yeah. And then also like I'm, I'm self-employed. I control my time. Like I can see why if I don't know, one of those teens is now like, I don't know, an investment banker. I could see why maybe he's just like, fuck bodybuilding. That's like, it just doesn't fit. And why so many of us, like so many people that compete are personal trainers and like online coaches and stuff, because kind of it fits into that lifestyle quite comfortably. It, it definitely does. And I mean, I pinch myself. I'm so grateful to do what I to, to do. What I, do. I, I mean, like you, I work with just so many amazing people, um, wonderful people. I just, I'm so, so, uh, so stoked. And to think back, you know, that uh, we got not to go off topic, but, you know, I remember telling my father, like, yeah, I'm going to study exercise science. He's like, yeah, okay. About 10 years later, he'd be like, man, I'm not going to lie. When you said you're going to study that, I thought, you know what? Like, all right, we'll, t we'll get, let the boy study what he wants to study. <laughs> He's like, I'm really stoked. You've actually, you've made a, done something real with this thing. Um, so, I mean, I have to pinch myself every day, like, wow. I have the opportunity to work with people that I love. Uh, I have the opportunity to, to, 
to do something that I deem meaningful, maybe to the external world, they're like, yeah, like, man, what do you contribute to society? You get a, you know, a small selection of people shredded, but I'm like, it's mean, it has meaning to, to you and I, but it's, it's, a, it's definitely, it allows you to create a lifestyle that is very conducive to this. And I do have to put myself in, you know, my athlete seat for someone that does not have those luxuries. You know, they might work the nine to five plus they're going to study part-time outside of that, got one child and a wife. It's like, okay, we're really going to have to compress these training sessions into no more than 60 minutes. They're going to have to be done between five and 6 a.m. And we have to put a nutrition system in place that takes no longer than 25 minutes for you to prepare every day. Okay, cool. That Then it becomes more imperative. Switch on, switch off. When are you John the bodybuilder? When are you John husband, John boss? You really need to be mentally, you know, switching between your identity, so to speak. Really important. Yeah, and I think actually what you mentioned there, and I didn't want it to make it sound like you can't compete or you can't do bodybuilding and not be in the industry, for example, because I think there's benefits actually to that because it's probably easier for that individual to turn it off and on because they actually have to. Whereas for us, it's like, it's almost 100% on because we're either coaching people, thinking about ourselves, training, eating. It's like, we have to find those times to switch off. I actually had this exact conversation with another coach and we were talking about another competitor that everyone would know, uh, who's now retired. And um, he works in a completely separate in- industry and he's competed year after year after year, at least in his heyday. And we were saying, you know what? It's quite possibly of benefit in his scenario to, to do something different uh, outside the industry because you're right. It, it means that, he is fresh for himself when he takes on that identity in the gym or, or whatever as a competitor. So there's probably benefits to both. I, I definitely think so. For sure. Uh, so I I think this is probably a nice uh, round out because otherwise the, I'll ask you a question and it will probably require you to, to talk at length uh, because I don't think there's a quick answer to any of my other questions. So maybe I'll, I'll have to bring you on, but it's been really nice to just kind of talk bodybuilding and hopefully the audience have got a bit of an insight into who Brandon is and uh, they, if they want to learn more about you, where should they head? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, just the handle Brandon Kempter, super simple. And outside of that, I, uh, I'm a little bit slack than other social media mediums. You can find me on Facebook. I'm a little bit uh, less active on there. And unfortunately, I don't have a business page. Um, still yet to get into this TikTok thing, but you can definitely find me on Instagram. So feel free to say good day. I feel like I'm too old for TikTok already. Like the re- I tried some re- reels are tough enough for me. <laughs> if, if, I'm uh, still yet to do the reels. <laughs> yeah. If people are interested in coaching, is it do they reach out over on Instagram as well? Uh, I do have my website linked to my Instagram. It's just uh, okay. bkconditioning.com. Uh, and there is an application uh, process through that should you choose to um, pursue coaching. Actually, yeah. I have one final question because this can be a quick one when are your next competitive plans personally do you have a timeline mapped out can you speak to that i was actually discussing this with my fiance last night because i had i love competing not to make it too lengthy i love competing every two years um i think 18 months is a nice nice realm to make some decent progress but two years is definitely productive but uh, this will be the longest time i've had off from stage i was planning on 2023 season b so the end of the year but in that year and the reason i put it to that year is because uh, I'm currently working my way through 
some study at the moment. I'm wrapping up a master's in the next chunk of time. And I want to make sure that I'm able to give my 100% to that. Smart. But I'm also getting, we're also getting married in 2023. And it would be about 18 days after Worlds. And my fiance said, well, the photos are going to look rubbish because your face is going to look like this. So it's either going to be the early part of 2023, which is my second choice because it's less competitive, but it would fit in the timeline well, or at the end of 23. Regardless, it'll be around that time. And oh, I'm, I'm burning up inside for, to get back in the contest prep because I just love it. So that's likely when it's going to go down. I bet. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, not not for me to extend this now, but the every two years, because uh, I've left it the, the first time to second time was four years. This time ended up being, wow. I think, uh, 20, yeah, four, so four years. It was four years, four years. Um, I wanted to do 2020, but couldn't. Uh, and I'm sold on making it now two years because I'm just like, I like, like it, just the reminder of prepping again has been like, I like this a lot. Why did I leave it so long? Like, mm. I'm glad in some ways, but yeah, two years is a nice. I think you you need a long enough timeline, obviously, to make progress. And as an advanced athlete, you know, that's that's a decent chunk of time. I like to work on a two to one ratio minimum. You spend 25 weeks in prep, you need 50 weeks off season plus the next contest prep. That's an 18 week, 18 month minimum. But you also want to make sure that the next show date is not so far away that it lacks urgency in your mind's eye. Personally, when I've done like a year, which is too short for me that with today's level of, of contest preparation duration, but let's say I, I have done that before. Let's say a year as an extreme example, not one single training session was wasted. Every single session was that belter where I walked out of the gym going, you know what? 10 out of 10. Can't, can't, I couldn't, I couldn't give more. Whereas when you have a three year, you're going to have a couple of occasions, no matter how motivated, inspired, disciplined you are, there'll be a couple of moments here and there where you might be running at 98% instead of 100%. And I dislike not being on 100%. So those shorter timelines, maybe two years compared to your four years might be perfect for you. You might make more progress in that time because you were that dialed up. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you again, Brandon. And we'll catch you soon. Take care. Thank you. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger, to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can log your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging 
We're going to have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're going to go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're going to be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.